Welcome back to the Snack Walls Podcast. I'm Mike Roberts, your host, and we're here to talk about increasing and maintaining diversity in tech beyond the perks. While companies think they can lure people in with unlimited PTO and dogs in the office, we're here to talk about how you keep them. All right, I'm going to throw it over to our special guest today. Can you tell us who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everybody. My name is Mia Reyes. I am a lifelong Seattleite, born and bred here. I have a career that spans really multiple industries. So prior to my transition from coming into tech, I actually worked in the music industry. I worked in the nonprofit world. And then I was working in foreign policy and international trade before Microsoft kind of tapped me to come into the role that I am in now. And so what I do now is I work at Microsoft. I am the director of industry marketing for government. So I really oversee the whole go-to-market strategy worldwide for government for the company. Nice. All right. So we got a heavy hitter today. So (laughs) I'm hearing from some leaders in tech that finding diverse talent is a challenge. What are your thoughts? So, I mean, I think if, if, if leaders are saying that they're having difficulty finding the talent, I, I guess I always have to wonder, is it because they really don't think the talent is there or they can't find it? Or, you know, what are the methods that they are using that's different? Um, because I feel like if you use the same systems and you, you use the same methods for recruitment, you're going to get the same results. So my question is, like, well, what are you doing differently that you don't think is, is working? So, like, let me how I sort of think about this is it's kind of like a, a how and a what and a where that I wonder where, where leaders are kind of looking to. So like, how are you looking, right? Like, do you have incentives for recruiters that are really like incentivized to look for diverse talent? How are you classifying and categorizing diversity and inclusion as a company? Um, you know, barriers to tech, and getting into tech when you're not from it. And I'm, I'm totally speaking from personal experience here as I'm somebody who does not come from tech. And this is kind of a new world to me. Like the barriers to getting in can honestly feel insurmountable sometimes if you aren't kind of born and bred for it, right? If you if you don't have a lot of familiarity. And so like, how are how are these leaders going after trying to find this, this talent that they're looking for? I also think, you know, tied with the how is the where, like, again, where are you looking? Are you, are you traditionally looking on, on college campuses that tend to, you know, have computer science programs that are predominantly white and male? And I think that's just sort of that industry at that degree period. But, you know, again, like, how are you doing this differently than how it's normally been done? And then I think it's really, for me, it's it's the what and like, what do you, what is the kind of talent that you are looking for? Well, you know, um, are you looking across industries where some of this talent may reside, but it may not be traditional kind of tech industries? And so, for example, I worked in the nonprofit world for a really long time. In the nonprofit world, there is a lot of women and talented women of color. And, and the kinds of problems you're tackling in nonprofit, I mean, sometimes these are big and hairy global problems. We're talking like global health and getting kids healthier and you know domestic violence. And when you're working in nonprofits, you have to be resilient and tenacious and um, you have to have grit and be a problem solver. And I'm like, hey, those are all translatable skills into tech. Like that's an industry that I would look into and maybe you wouldn't normally think of that as a tech recruiter. 
So, I mean, like, those are the sort of questions that I, I wonder and I ask when I hear they can't find talent. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it seems like you're a firm believer that by looking in some of these other places and identifying what the core competencies are that you're looking for, exactly, you can kind of sort of change that narrative. So I like it. Yeah. I, I'm a big yeah, fan of it, that. Probably. No, and, and let me just say, like, I am, I'm sitting here today because of that, right? So this is a very personal thing because like I had a recruiter who kind of looked at my core competencies outside of, you know, kind of this technical skills or skills or what you're traditionally looking for in tech, you know, 10 years of experience in this, like five years, 10 years of product marketing experience. And they just sort of asked, Hey, do you, do you have problem solving capabilities? Can you do like for me, like, do you understand governments? Do you know how governments work? Can you work with external stakeholders? Are you good at building alliances? And I'm like, yeah, check, check, check. Like, all right, well, we recognize that a lot of the other things we can teach you. right? And so like there's a difference between, like you're saying, like a core competency and then something that can be taught. And so questions similarly that you can ask is, well, how do you how do you learn? How do you on ramp quickly? Right. Because I think so many things that they list as a core competency in tech is, is something you can teach. Sure. And there are some that things that you can't teach. So you can't teach showing up on time yeah. and yes. you know, running through the finish line. Like those are things that you just either have or you don't at you know yeah. at the working age by the time you're a working adult. So yeah. Hey, you can awesome. be coached though. I think there's coachable moments oh, sure. and all that, but yeah, I understand where you're going. Yeah, but being late, you can't coach. Like I learned <laughs> that my heart. <laughs> you like, can't, you, you don't can't, think so? Okay. No, you have to fire the person. You have to draw a line. So this is a pro tip. So if you're if you're managing or leading new people, um there is no way to coach that behavior because it's an internal decision people make that it's either important or not important to be on time. So you have to set boundaries and guidelines and then you have to reinforce them. And if they can't, then they can't. I used to work for someone that would literally say, why are you late? I will drive to your house and I will pick you up and I will bring you to work and we'll make sure you're here. Like, let's fix the problem. And it's not the problem. It's the person. (laughs) So that's one of those like things that you could try and coach it, but it's, Everywhere I've read and everything I've done, it's not seem okay. Work. So, but it's one of those where it's a it's a um, it's an attitude and a mindset, and those are the yeah. hardest behaviors to change. I agree. Right? Yes. Yeah. So. I, I agree with that. Yeah. So, what do you think about the push within some organizations to remove the requirement for for CS degrees for um, degrees in order to work in a software engineering role? Yeah. So. Okay, I mean, I don't work in I don't work in engineering, so I can't necessarily speak to this directly or from experience. But if I have an opinion and an impression, just in my time working in tech, is that you know, computer science degrees can still be heavily dominated by men. And then when I think about the race breakdown, I, I think well, I've seen some sort of raw numbers that it tends to be Asian and white dominated. And so, like, I guess my question is, if I'm thinking of stats, like, what are the stats for first generation? What are the stats for low income that get into computer science? If I'm going to make an assumption, and again, probably need to, you know, I need somebody to validate this, but I, if I were to make an educated guess, I would assume those stats are low. And so, I think if you're thinking of barriers to college and to getting these kinds of computer science degrees, and when you think of barriers that are systemic to race and gender and economic situations, I think if you're really trying to find more diverse talent, then you acknowledge that there are barriers to those things um, to get those computer science degrees. And I would imagine that removing that requirement for a degree would help you find a more diverse talent pool. 
Yeah, I think it's a good uh, hypo working hypothesis. It's interesting because I've had guests on in the past and I've talked to folks that not only talk about how there's a disparity in the number of um, folks that are, like the folks that graduate with CS degrees are not representative of the folks that start in the CS major. So as an example, I've had um, women say that they start and it's almost even. There's almost as many males yeah. in their classes as there are females. And then because of just the the way that the culture and the behavior is on campus, yeah. the women tend to move out of that major and out of that space. And they basically, you know, self-select themselves out mm -hmm. of that um, final degree and they yeah. end up going in a different direction. So I'm curious, do you think an apprenticeship pattern would work for some tech roles? Yeah, I mean, I definitely do. And so I guess how I think of an apprenticeship and let me know if this is how you think of it too, is like, I think it's something that tends to be sort of a longer term real world immersion with pay. And I, I would think competitive pay coupled with some kind of classroom instruction, usually that are all aligned and done kind of together and, and in sync. And so I know that a lot of tech companies offer either undergraduate or MBA kind of rotations that, that are similar to this. Maybe an MBA will join for like a year and will go to different parts of the company and actually work in different parts of the company. And then oftentimes the company, you know, after they've been and, and tried different roles, they can then apply and usually oftentimes will get hired by that company. And, and so I feel like if that's how you're especially that company, like, yeah, you know, real value, there's real value in doing real work that over a longer period of time getting immersed within a company than there is kind of in shorter term stints. And I sort of thinking, I, I kind of think about it as like, well, are you going to dip your toe in the water? You're going to jump right in. Right? And an apprenticeship to me kind of feels like you're sort of jumping right into that opportunity. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting that you, you went right to the top with like, post-secondary degrees. And I've never even thought about apprenticeship patterns applied at that level, but it makes sense that they have yeah. a, a bit more industry experience. And yeah. so they could really gain a lot of skill by working with a master of masters. Cause by the time you're, you know, you're doing an executive MBA or you're doing some sort of like, you know, postgraduate work, you typically have some relevant experience, but getting mm -hmm. even more or translating some of those skills from one industry into another, I think could be a really novel apprenticeship pattern. So I like that. Yeah. And, and, and I'm speaking of that because there's actually, you know, we have an MBA rotation program at Microsoft and there are, like I have colleagues now on my team who kind of started on that and then have been hired on. And so it's, it's like a, it's a thing that works and, um, you know, the talent that kind of comes from that has been really, really strong. And, yeah. and so I think it's an interesting model for, you know, for other companies to kind of consider as well. I'm usually working with folks that are trying to get out of high school and trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. So yeah. not the same yeah. constituency, but I like the concept. I like the concept. So what, what about, um, what advice would you share with companies that are looking to retain diverse staff? So let's say you've done a great job of getting them in. You've identified talent. They're inside your organization. How do you keep them? I mean, my, my opinion and the biggest thing that I, I really think about is like, look, lip, lip service isn't going to cut it, right? If employers are really thinking about and investing in and care about diversity and inclusion, I think employees want real action. And I think employees are looking for their leaders to put their money where their mouth is. And so it's like, okay, well, how are your execs bonus, pay and bonuses tied to diversity and inclusion? How are managers? So not even just at the really high level, how are middle managers and all of the in-between managers? How's their pay and bonuses 
and metrics tied to diversity and inclusion? You know, how are you investing in programs and like really investing? Some of these companies, these tech companies we're talking about, I mean, they're worth hundreds of millions and billions, sometimes trillions of dollars. Like, how are you actually investing in programs to create the pipelines necessary to think about diversity and inclusion from, you know, gender and race and economic backgrounds? Because your employers are smart, right? They know when companies are just kind of reading corporate memos and when they really mean it. And I think if you're thinking about that retention, it's about trust. And if your employees can feel like what you're saying is true and they can trust you to keep to your word. And, and all of this, diversity, inclusion, you know, these sort of initiatives, this all is about the top. It's your top, it, it, it comes from the stop, top and then it trickles down. And so these initiatives never work. They will never, ever, ever, ever work if it's not being driven and promoted and incentivized at the highest levels of the company. All right. So now I know who I got to be talking to the people <laughs> yeah. at the top making decisions. Yes. yes. That's what it always is, isn't it? That's everything in life. It is, but it's it's in many cases when we start talking to folks, it's the internal champions that end up sort of picking up the baton and doing some of the legwork. But I yeah. agree, if there's no backing, if there's no support, if you have like an empty shell of a DNI department yeah. and you have a figurehead there, but they don't have the capacity to implement anything or make decisions and execute, then it's like you might as well not have it because exactly. very quickly people are gonna figure out that it's fake and yeah. it's not helpful. That's not exactly. what you're trying to do. So yeah. Um, who's someone like yourself that you think you'd like to kind of give a shout out to might be a good potential guest on a podcast like this? I mean, I, I have some really good contacts I can suggest. I think I want to be thoughtful. I, and I'm, okay. I was actually like putting my thinking hat on because I want to think about somebody who I think is going to give you a new and interesting perspective on this topic. Like and that. so I want to like really think through this and make sure I, I get you somebody. But I do have some people in mind. I just want to think through it. Nice. All right. Um, so, okay. The next question, I think most people know about the organization called Microsoft. So how do you find out where Microsoft is? Yes. But is there, tell me a little bit about maybe more about what is special about any projects that you're working on or what would you like to kind of like promote or pitch? This is the time for a shameless yeah. plug. For a shameless plug. Well, I mean, look, our, our topic today is diversity inclusion. Um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about and, and kind of point people to what I felt like was really strong leadership on this topic. And so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of articles and there's a lot of reference points that people can look to on like what did Microsoft and specifically Satya Nadella, our, CT, our, our CEO, say about this. But I think like when I when I reference a lot of leadership traits and when I reference a lot of like, well, hey, you know, some examples of I would, that I would think about if you're really trying to retain talent, I would look at what Microsoft is doing. And I felt that we came out as a really strong leader. And I felt like as an employee, the leadership has been true to their word about it. And so I would recommend people, you know, kind of check out some of the stuff that we've done in that realm. Nice. And I agree. They the organization seems to have stepped up. I'm not inside, so it's hard for me yeah. to be from the outside. But from what I've seen so far, they're doing a way, way better job than Wells Fargo. I'll say that. <laughs> um, so last and most important question, what have you been snacking on lately? What's your favorite snack? Yeah. Okay. 
this was like my most fun one to think about, honestly. I'm, I'm a snack master myself too. So there is, um, I don't know if people are familiar, but here in Seattle, and, and I think it might be a West Coast thing, I don't know, but we have uh, a grocery chain store called H Mart, and it's like an Asian grocery. And one just opened right down for me. So I live in downtown Seattle, and they have, they like basically have the best frozen dumplings that they ship, you know, straight from Korea, straight, you know, all over Asia from Singapore. And they have like these amazing Korean dumplings that are frozen. You boil them for five minutes. All of the hot sauces of the world are like at, in, in the aisle as well. And I just get like some chili sauce and dip it in. It's, it's the perfect snack. That it's sounds so amazing. So. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's probably yes. one of the best. Although that's also a meal. <laughs> so it is okay. Isn't that bad? I know. Oh, I know. Okay. I, my snacks are meals. Like what can I say? That's fine. You can have yeah. as many meals as long as they're small. <laughs> okay. Okay. So. That's reassuring. Nice. All right. So I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this. I think it's a super important topic. So thanks again, Mia. I appreciate having you on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. The San Diego Code School is a proud sponsor of the Snack Walls podcast. The San Diego Code School is leading companies to tech equity. The Tech Enabled Apprenticeship Program is a venture whose heart is to do a lot of social good and do good work. You can help San Diego Code School secure funding for change by hiring developers, bringing a team in to relieve your backlog, or becoming a program sponsor. You can visit us on the web for more information at http colon forward slash forward slash sdcs.io.